Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, so we're recording. It's happening. It's working. It's working. Okay, so this is Paul. I'm here with Sean. Um, uh, we have been working for the last, I would say, month and a half or more, yep. uh, you know, on the PEP stuff. And uh, um, I am the reason why that's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Because we got to work on our book. We've got so much to do before the, the Kickstarter starts. And the thing that I've expressed is that the PEP stuff is a higher priority than the book. So if you help me with the PEP stuff, then I will put more time into the book stuff. So a whole bunch of other stuff is getting neglected as we uh, uh, together scramble on the PEP stuff and have been scrambling on the book stuff. Uh, um, the the book is almost done um, and almost ready to go to Kickstarter. Um, but that's a setting setting that aside. The other thing is is the pep stuff, and I think I've mentioned the pep stuff in passing a, a few times in podcasts. Now, Sean, you you've listened to like all of my most recent podcasts, right? Except the ones that I'm in. I thought that'd be weird, so I didn't listen to those. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've listened to, I think I've listened to nearly all of your podcasts that you've done all time. And I don't think you've fleshed out what this program is about. I think you've talked about it in passing as a thing that you need to work on. Okay. And not much more than that. And, um, I'm going to get into what it is exactly here in a moment, but, um, uh, I want to, I, I know you and I don't have a lot of time to record this podcast, um, and I know there's been a lot of people asking for more podcasts, more podcasts. So it's like, and I, and this is like, uh, this is, this is the most important thing to me right now. It's, it's been at the tippy top of my list for four years and I keep trying to, um, get people who, who come and they say, I want to help. And then I say, okay, uh, here's the pep stuff. Please help me flesh this out. And they're like, I have to leave now. <laughs> And it's like I think that for a lot of people, if if you're not on, if you're not sitting down next to me doing it, uh, in fact, even if you are, hell, I don't know, Sean, is it driving you bonkers as I pour through this? I mean, I I think that as we do this together, um, my obsession is probably pretty obvious. <laughs> I don't know how painful it is for you to work with me on creating these documents. It's not a bad. I, I have fun. But. You do understand the value of what we are attempting to create. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that this is enormous. This is, this is, I, I believe in my head that this is going to end up being more important than the PDC. Um, but all right, let me, I want to start off with a couple of things though about the thing that's in my innards about coming up with something like this. So, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I was out on Mount Spokane. I was building a pod, and I had a gal there working for me, 
and she uh, had a master's degree in freshwater marine biology. I don't know if that makes sense. Freshwater biology. Let's say freshwater biology. So I'm trying to make a pond of one of the many things that we're working on, and her words to me was that, um, you know, hey, I'm an expert in this. Could you just, you know, do as I am telling you? And I'm saying, hey, I am a property owner who has a fair bit of savvy in this space. Could you just do what I'm telling you to do? And and uh, so we were at loggerheads. It was it was not going well. And finally, I just built this pond, and I was basically trying to say I want to have a pond where there's a bowl that's about ten feet deep. That is um, the trout habitat, and I want to have a finger on the pond that varies from three feet to one feet deep that is going to be the trout food habitat. And so then the trout will get all the food they need from this finger on the pond. And hours and hours and hours of unkind words were exchanged uh, in order to try to convey this idea. So finally I built it. And once it existed, she said to me, like, this is what I was trying to describe to you. And I said, this is what I was trying to describe to you. And, and so we, we, uh, we effectively were able to find consensus, but it was still kind of coarse. <laughs> so, uh, um, I I kind of feel like uh, I I don't know. There, throughout my entire life, even as a kid, I I find that there's a thing that I want to do, and I have to describe it for some reason. And I think I do an amazing job of describing, and then the party I'm trying to describe it to thinks I'm an idiot. And um, everything I've said is stupid and dumb and blah, blah, blah. So then I just create it, and then they're like, oh, well, of course, duh, that's obvious. And then uh, the, it just wouldn't be complete unless that person also says, I told you I understood. <laughs> yeah. You fought me. You said it. So uh, another great example is rocket mass heaters. I I was sure, I don't know how many times I've been absolutely certain that by this point in time, interest in rocket mass heaters would be about 200 times greater than what it is now. Like, there would be 30 different manufacturers of shippable cores, and uh, conventional wood stoves wouldn't even be getting sold anymore. Every and then there'd be all these suppliers for materials for building rocket mass heaters, and 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 there'd be more books and videos and and all of my stuff would be so outdated because things have just evolved so much faster. Uh, I mean, I remember when we when Bart and I made that first four DVD set, we thought that it would have a shelf life of like nine months before somebody came out with a far better video set. And, um, and so it's like the whole business plan was that it would only be, a, but it's like, I am, I am baffled. I am baffled. This, I mean, I've got 11 rocket mass heaters that are fully functional now. I, I'm, 
I'm heating. I've got a fire in my rocket mass heater right now. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, all day yesterday, we didn't have a fire in the rocket mass heater because it was still plenty warm here, even though, you know, there was black ice outside and stuff. So it was plenty cold outside and plenty warm inside. This is the, how simple and elegant and powerful this, these, these rocket mass heater things are is so amazing. It just kind of dwarfs almost everything else in the ecosphere of like what's cool and what's eco. And it's like somebody, people talk about like, you know, what's cool and eco is, you know, fluorescent light bulbs. <laughs> it's, uh, or anyway, yeah, I'll try not to have that button be pushed. But the thing is, is it's like, all right, the, the moral story, I mean, I've talked about rocket mass heaters often enough in the podcast. The thing that's just killing me is that they aren't getting more traction. I am mystified. I would think that by now, uh, people who have a perfectly functional um, uh, gas heater in their home uh, would get a rocket mass heater with the idea that, you know, most of the winter they will heat with the rocket mass heater and when they're feeling lazy or whatever. Whoa, is everything okay at your house? Yeah, are you, under, that. Are you under attack? I don't think so. My wife dropped something in the kitchen. It's definitely not ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I kind of feel like um, uh, the the benefits of a rocket mass heater are so profound. And then, of course, if you're going to be going away for uh, two weeks in the middle of winter, then it's like, all right, yeah, just set the thermostat on your uh, gas heater to 50 and everything will be fine. Um, and it just seems like, it's. I mean, the, the the amount of wood is so trivially small. I'm perpetually amazed. Having heated several homes in my past with conventional wood stoves, it's it's like the. And then I go outside. I still do this. I go outside and I look at the steam coming out of the chimney, and it's like that is so clean. And then I, you know, make a trip into town, and it's like I'll see eight different houses with this just. Just you know, as I drive through smoke, and I could see the smoke pouring out of their chimney, um, and it's like, ha ha ha! I don't do that. Or I drive by house. Oh, and I saw a thing the other day, uh, a, a YouTube video. A guy's talking about like, oh yeah, we got to put up 13 cords of wood to heat my home every winter. Go and on. I'm thinking like, I, I, you know, I just um, uh, uh, paid somebody for one cord of wood. And we had like a half a cord of wood just still here. And I'm thinking like we probably won't even touch that new cord of wood because we'll only need this half a cord of wood to get through the winter. And it's like um, here we are in the coldest month of the year. In fact, we're closing in on the end of December, and we've barely touched that half a cord of wood. We've, you know, there's still plenty of it out there. Right. It's like I feel pretty confident we're not going to touch that new cord of wood. So it's like. All right. The moral of the story is, I what does it take? I don't. I don't know. Um, so with the pep stuff, I'm 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 starting to worry that buying will be slow. But I still got to try. Um, and and I got to thinking about this, and it's like, okay, will people understand the value of pep when I simply tell them about the idea, or 
will they not understand until it's fully documented? And and Sean and I have been working on the documentation for weeks, um, and we'll get to that more here in a moment. Or will they not understand until it has been like like a few dozen people have uh, gotten PEP1 certified and they've posted lots of pictures about it? Or will people not understand until it's been done by a few hundred people with pictures and video? It's amazing how people can look at pictures and be like, nah, that's bullshit. And But they look at a video and it's like, oh, okay, well, now it must be true because they took that picture and they put it into a video with words over it. <laughs> uh, or will they not understand it until it's been done by a few thousand people with pictures, videos, reviews, books, DVDs, and we have some people that have completed PEP4. Uh, or, or, and this is the one, this is what I think is probably the most true. Or will they not understand until it's presented with a $20 million advertising campaign? Like, you know, hey, if you don't have television ads, you know, it must not be real. Um, and I kind of feel like that's like where rocket mass heaters are right now. If, if there's not a, a $20 million advertising campaign, rocket mass heaters must not be all the things that they say. Um, or people just don't know that they exist or something. I, I, so if so, anyone listening to this has 20 million sitting around, then, you know, what are you waiting for? Um, uh, well, there, there's, there's that. Of course, if you drop 20 million on an advertising campaign, what do you get in return? Um, I think it's bupkis. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, other than the satisfaction of knowing. In fact, you know what? I, I think that there are a whole lot of um, uh, programs out there, like nonprofit organizations that are trying to do good things and talk about. But it's like the the stuff that they talk about is like fluorescent light bulbs. And I just kind of feel like – and, and uh, I've had the opportunity to visit with people and organizations where they've got like 200 employees – and it, it seems like really you've got 200 employees and the best that you can offer for like a better world is fluorescent light bulbs. Seriously. That's, that's all you got. Yeah. You know, oh, and do organic. And it's like, really? Really? That's, that's it. And I'm, I'm just, so and I keep running into these nonprofit organizations where it seems like the nonprofit organization, their primary function is to go out and get money and pay the people who got the money. And they really don't do much else besides that. Um, but, okay, that's a, that's another set of whining for another day. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks to your help, Sean, uh, I have composed, and so I, I think it's fair to say we have composed, uh, a bit of an introduction to help explain the, the PEP stuff. Uh, before talking about the solution, I think I need to share the problems that need a solution. There are millions of old people that have large plots of land that wish to have the land go to an industrious person when they die. But since they cannot find an industrious person, the land simply goes to the state or ends up in the hands of somebody that lets it rot. All of the momentum built by this person for an active farm or homestead is lost. Okay, that said, uh, excellent example, Mike Ayler. Mike Ayler was desperately trying to find somebody 
to Willa's land too before he died. He he knew the end was near and he I don't know, he talked to me probably about six different times just begging me to name somebody. Wow. Um uh and in the end one of the ants did go up and help him out, but I think he got there too late to, you know, make enough of an impression to get worked into the will. So right. that didn't happen. And in the in the end, uh the the land went to his niece who simply just sold it. You know, mm. and so um, uh, unfortunate, very unfortunate. Uh, but it's like I don't know how many people, dozens and dozens of people I've talked to that are kind of like this, where they're looking for somebody to will their land to, and some of them offer to will it to me. But I'm kind of I I'm like, dude, all I can do at this time is just sell it to whoever. I'm mean, like, turn it over to a real estate agent, and it's like you got to find somebody, and it's like so they. The other thing is, is that they can easily get, in fact, Mike told me stories of people that he wanted to will it to, but then they came and he discovered that they were a loser and then he was kicking them off the property. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, I'm all about permaculture and all the good things. And, you know, and really um, it turns out that there's no substance there. It's like just, just wishful thinking. And so it, it's clear to me that, okay, we're going to get to the solution here in a moment. Next, the next uh, item. There are millions of young people that are looking for an alternative to a college or a university. Something within the realm of homesteading and permaculture where a reliable future can be built. Something hands on and something that doesn't come with a $100,000 debt package or a million-dollar debt package. Um, I've, I've met some people that started a community, and they bought, like, two million, this $2 million piece of land, and, and then they ended up uh, – the community ended up being dissolved because they couldn't make the mortgage payments, you know, because everybody's like, oh, I'm going to come onto the land and get stuff started, right. but it's like, yeah, the mortgage payment is something like $7,000 a month. And I was like, they just can't get enough people in there to make those mortgage payments, and so it dissolves. No, oh, I wish people would plan those things a little bit better up front. Well, they planned it awesome up front, but it was a little on the rosy side. And it's like, you know, anyway – that's a whole other podcast for another day. If yeah. if somebody wants me to record that podcast, they gotta they gotta say something. Yeah. Which um, I, I think that is a is a huge point. It's, I talk to so many young people who are like, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I guess I'll go get a degree so that I have something. It's like I would way rather they do what we're about to present. And I think they'll be far better off. I think that they'll be far happier. And, and that's another thing too is, is that for the people that have come here to be in the boot camp, um, as, as well as other programs, they desperately want, uh, to build experiences. And some people it's kind of like, okay, um, 40 hours a week is about the limit of what I can do in building experiences. Um, but we've had uh, a lot of people come where it's like 40 hours a week is nowhere near enough. So it's it's really clear that what we do here needs to be able to facilitate both groups of people, and I think the system we have totally does. Um, which, by the way, for the boot camp program starting on February second of this year, 
we have only two spots left. And um, and the boot camp, uh, we're going to do a PEP1 event on May 20th. More about that in a moment. But the boot camp program uh, will basically stop and do the PEP1 program as part of the boot camp program when that time comes. Very cool. Uh, all right, next. The people that wish to shift their land to somebody industrious often believe that a college degree is not evidence of the flavor of industrious they would be comfortable with. At the same time, there are a lot of people that say they are industrious when they really are not. Or they are not according to the standards of the landowner. So the landowner needs evidence of industrious that will meet their standards. Millions of people wish to escape the rat race. They're looking at homesteading and permaculture and think to make that transition. They need to build knowledge and skills. The books, videos, workshops, and other learning experiences are quite good, but there is still a long list of little things that are not covered. Further, having a few hours of experience is different from having a few months of experience. And the experience must be built on evenings and weekends as part of a greater plan to continue to work and get out of the rat race. Further, this transition, this transition could be accelerated if there were free land on the table. People with land wish to hire consultants. Um, I, I know that we've been um, in meetings. I'm not sure if Julia Winter, uh, who's on the staff at, uh, at permies.com, um, uh, she has said I don't know how many times that she wishes to hire somebody that was like PEP4 certified. Like she's got a job ready for him. Um, sure. But I've already talked to people about the PEP4 stuff, and um, I've heard from lots of people that if they're PEP4 certified, that they would want to hire them as consultants um, as well as other, other things. Um, okay, people with land wish to hire consultants, but they end up hiring somebody for a huge amount of money that doesn't really know what they're talking about. Um, oh, man, I've heard this story. I don't know how many times. Like, they parted with, like, $20,000, $30,000 for a consultant, and it turned out the consultant was just making it up as they go. They really didn't have the experience that they said that they had. That makes me so sad. People would like to hire land managers. Like, hey, Come and move here. I will pay you sixty thousand, eighty thousand a year to be a land manager here. Uh, but they find themselves hiring a lot of drama without effective land management. Um, I'm not sure. I know that you're relatively new to the staff at Permies.com, but I, as a lot of times when we have our little staff meetings that are closed and private, and some of the people talk about some of their poor experiences in this space. Um, not only that, but it seems like when I'm uh, traveling and doing a speaking gig that people will come up to me and they'll say, okay, we hired this person. They said this. They didn't come through as a land manager. We Not only did we have to fire them, but we had to get, like, you know, the, the sheriff's office involved to get them off of our land. Um, you know, what a, what a mess. What a lot of drama. And so it's like, okay, um, you know, I kind of feel like what we're going to offer here with PEP is a way of being able to say, this person, um, uh, I mean, it's a human being, so they're going to come with some kind of drama package. There's just no way to ever escape that with anybody. Yeah. And um, But 
at least they've accomplished this. Here is what they have done. Here's, here's photographic or video evidence of what they have gotten done. You can look at the pictures now. And, and on top of that, we have verified every speck of every bit. And so it's not like somebody's just stealing pictures off the Internet and putting it up. Right. People would like to hire speakers for their events, but are finding that the speakers fall well short of a professional. Uh, okay, so what our solutions need? We need a way to measure the detailed experiences of a person. We are well into the Internet age. We need a way to document progress so that a person can teach themselves all of these things, and it will cost nothing to prove that they have accumulated these experiences. Uh, we need, and so that actually we have software. We've modified the software at permies.com to facilitate all of the badges and stuff for PEP. Uh, we need uh, a way for landowners and event coordinators to find a list of experienced people for free. We need a way for there to be mini schools of thought for how permaculture experience is measured. We need the ability to scale to millions of people. Can you go into the woods, bring back some wood, and make a chair? Uh, most people reading this uh, or listening to this are now thinking about the kinds of wood, the sticks, and what level of expectation there might be for the word chair. Can it be a very low-quality chair? Suppose you make a really terrible chair and take a picture of it, and somebody verifies that, yes, that looks like something a desperate person might sit on, but I wouldn't want it in my home. I mean, visions of the red-green show featuring lots of duct tape comes to mind. <laughs> Suppose you work on some smaller projects before trying a chair. Then you build your chair, and then you build four more chairs and you build 30 other things out of sticks from the woods, and now the quality of the things you're creating uh, is getting pretty good. You have pictures of that stuff, and then there's now a label on your account that says, can build some pretty mediocre furniture from sticks in the woods. Here are pictures of everything built. And now you want to upgrade from pretty mediocre to pretty good all at your own pace. Or maybe you're working with a group of friends and you're fiddling with this sort of thing. Without a formal framework like what is laid out in uh, this book. So, so we're hoping to take all these bits and mash them into a quick little ebook. Um, so book is, book is the word. Without a formal uh, framework like what is laid out in this book, you might never try to build this chair. Your goals with and without the framework are the same. With the framework, your effort day after day is recorded and will carry you to a destination of perhaps 200 acres of free land, maybe even a house, maybe even a cash reserve. Without the framework, why would I try to build a chair? I currently do not need a chair. Maybe I will someday try to build a chair when I need a chair. Before building a chair, you will need a mallet, basically a thick stick. But you do need one end of the stick to be a little thinner so you can hold on to it as you are, you know, malleting. <laughs> so you take a hatchet and thin down one end. 
uh, is your hatchet sharp. <laughs> now you have a really ugly mallet that is difficult to hold on to, but it gets, it gets the job done. As you use your mallet, you might make that handle a little better. Uh, as you build a variety of things and use this mallet, the whacking end starts to give up bits of wood, and eventually the mallet is ready for the firewood pile. Your second mallet is much nicer than the first. Your sixth mallet had a really nice handle and lasts ten times longer than the first. Your tenth mallet looks like something made by a master mallet maker. Very nice. You have developed skills. Working with wood from the land, gardening, natural building, cooking, wild crafting, food preservation, animal care, earthworks, plumbing, learning how to properly care for tools will help you build better tools. Learning more about gardening will help you choose what kinds of trees to plant for future tool making. With more skills in cooking and food preservation will come more foundation for selecting the best wood and using the best techniques for creating wooden tools, which all adds up to building a higher quality chair. All right. Crawl before you walk, before you run, before you fly. I wish to suggest that you build a crappy mallet before you build a good mallet, before you build a coat rack, before you build a stool, before you build a crappy chair, before you build a good chair. And before you build that good chair, you planted some seeds in your garden and you made a ball of cob and you dug a pond and you fed some chickens and you dried some fruit and harvested some wild mushrooms. I once heard about a fancy pants Ivy League art school. I think I've mentioned this in podcasts before, but I'm not sure. The guy talking about attending the school explained that when he showed up as a freshman, he wanted to learn how to be a great sculptor. For the first semester, he sees that he will spend two hours early every morning, Monday through Friday, in a sculpting class. i got to say sculpting class in quotes because of what's coming. He shows up and is in a room by himself. The instructor walks in, slaps a blob of clay on the table, and explains that he has two hours of sculpt ahead. Begin! At the end of the two hours, he thinks he's done a reasonably good job for his first day and given only two hours. The instructor comes back into the room and smashes it. See you tomorrow. So no instruction that the instructor never said how to sculpt ahead. Never said anything. You, you just so this guy just shows up into the room and starts kind of sculpting ahead. No one told him how to do it. He just had a blob of clay, and for two hours he was to do it, and then it smashed. The next day, you have two hours to sculpt the head. Two hours later, smash. Wednesday, smash. Thursday, smash. It's like he isn't even looking at it. He doesn't give any feedback day after day. Smash for four years, two hours a day, Monday through Friday, sculpt the head and smash. The guy telling the, explore, the, telling the story explains that at the end of four years, the heads he could sculpt in two hours were rather magnificent. It's a pity they were all smashed. In 2003 or so, I had so much stuff rolling around my head that I needed to express that I decided to take a drawing class. Okay, so this is me, Paul. I, I'm going out in 2003 to take a drawing class. 
On the first day of the drawing class, the instructor showed us the amazing stuff he had drawn. It was all amazingly cool. His stuff would often be used on the cover of the weekly magazine or as art and all sorts of things. Um, <clears throat> amazing stuff. Uh, he said there is nothing he can teach us. Learning to draw is 100% experience. So I got the impression that this guy teaching this drawing class, that this was like the 200th time he taught a drawing class. And his message to us is there's nothing he can teach any of us. So we all just sat down with a piece of paper and a pencil and draw. Call it doodling if you want. The more you draw, the better you get. If you become obsessed with drawing and spend 15 hours a day drawing, then you can probably get some stuff published in a couple of months. If you spend an hour a day drawing, the point, that point might come in a few years. He was emphatic that no amount of teaching or advice would change any of that. The only thing a teacher can do is to get you to spend some time drawing instead of doing something else. So that's what the class was going to do. That's what we did. So <clears throat> each day we showed up for class, he had a thing we were going to draw, or he told us to draw a thing, you know, and so to get us focused and get us all drawing, and then, of course, you know, we could all cheat off of everybody else as much as we want. Yeah. Uh, and so look at how everybody else is doing. And we, we, you know, I quickly learned that I seriously suck at this and that everybody else in the class was better than me. <laughs> that was like what my experience would be like, too. It, you know, but we drew. And at the end of the class, I could draw way better than I could at the beginning. I want to describe a program of small, simple things you can do for yourself. Right now, without me saying anything, you can go get a fat stick and make a terrible mallet. Uh, anybody listening to this, who, people who have never touched a hatchet, who have never touched any kind of saw, uh, and in fact, um, I've, I've, I watched some YouTube videos the last couple of days because I'm trying to fill this out, uh, on permies for, for doing this mallet, this, the style of club mallet. And I've, I saw people who made their mallet with nothing more than, um, uh, a pocket knife. <laughs> it's like, wow. wow, that was, that was pretty impressive. Um, you have to sharpen that knife up after you're done. Well, or, you know, or before you start, maybe. Uh, all right. Right now, without me saying anything, you can go get a fat stick and make a terrible mallet. I bet I can come up with a, a list of 50 little projects that you can do with little or no instruction. And when you are done with that, you'll be ready to do 50 more so that you couldn't have done it without the first 50. With the framework. I hope you can build skills by yourself such that you would then be of interest to somebody looking for those skills, maybe to be a speaker or a consultant or to leave 200 acres to uh, a house, a barn, and a bit of coin as part of a will. So um, I, and I mean, like, I think that like we should set the primary focus being this, this old, like I, I've got it in my head, this this old geezer, and um, uh, Joel Salton and I talked about this for a while once, and and he kept referring to him as curmudgeons. 
And um, and he says, like, you know, because he says he's heard from these curmudgeons, like, probably pushing a thousand different curmudgeons. Right. They, can, can Joel provide somebody to will their land to? Um, because uh, otherwise the state's going to get it or uh, maybe their children whom they hate are going to get it. <laughs> and so <clears throat> it would be great to find somebody who had some worth, you know, to, to will it to. But, I mean, I think there's probably 20 different things we're not even mentioning that would be a value to, of this. But let's just focus on the curmudgeon. All right. Uh, next thing. Uh, I want to so so there's there's a bit of an introduction there um, to to what we're what we're looking to do the why behind Pep One and so um, we we've kind of got some stuff put together and I want to try to to share uh, some of that so first of all uh, Pep um, uh, I I I kind of came up with the idea that it's like all right and it's already happened like. 40 times in the last four years, people tried to tell me that, well, PEP doesn't have anything in it for uh, tropical areas, therefore PEP sucks. And so I, I had to point out to them, uh, all 40 of them, uh, a, a thread on Permies where it's called PEX slash PEP. And so then I said, okay, so PEP is permaculture experience according to uh, a giant doofus named Paul. But different people can have their own. So, you know, there can be one called PES that's going to be according to Sean. So, Sean, you can go and make whatever you want. And then who knows, maybe Jeff Lawton will do this, and he'll come up with PEG, you know. And uh, and so then, then and maybe someday we're going to need to extend the uh, alphabet. <laughs> so there could be even more. Uh, um, but... Uh, uh, the, the key is, is that I'm trying to make a list of skills that could be built on my property, but these could also be done on, uh, on, on millions of properties. Yeah. It have to be limited here. Now, now granted, um, there's going to be some tropical places where there's going to be some of the things that really can't be done. But when it comes to making a mallet, you could do that anywhere in the world where you can get a stick. Yeah, oh, unless you're in the Arctic Circle, you're pretty much good. Good point. Not not many people living in the Arctic Circle, but there's some, and uh, uh, they can still find a stick. I bet <laughs> they look hard enough. But the, the important thing is, is like, look, I'm trying to you know build some experiences. I'm not trying to build the ultimate perfect thing for everybody everywhere. I need to start off with something that's that's going to be very Hyper focused on what I am able to uh, to to talk about, what I'm able to provide, what I'm able to to to, to set up and describe and and create a framework for. Yeah, absolutely. So there will be people that insist that their program is better. So they might have PED or PET or PEH or PEQ or whatever. For the concept of this framework, I want to say that this is what I think is a good framework. And since I live in Montana and I'm bonkers about cold climate, mountain permaculture, then there'll be a lot of stuff here that is limited to just what I think is cool. And others might make programs that are better suited for tropical climates or deserts or something else. All right. Now, at this time, 
I have defined four PEP programs, PEP1, PEP2, PEP3, PEP4. I think that these uh, the, uh, four names are going to be easy to remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you remember which level goes first, though. <laughs> well, then let me just tell you, PEP1 goes first. A PEP1 program would take about two weeks. So I'm kind of thinking like this is uh, something that you would do possibly in addition to a PDC, maybe instead of a PDC. But it's it's like I think that that two weeks is a great thing. Whereas a PDC is all classroom time and a couple of experiences, a PEP1 program is all experiences. Right. There's there's really no classroom time. Um, uh, so a PEP pro, a PEP1 program would take about two weeks. Um, person with experience could host a PEP1 event, and for two weeks, people will work together to try to get PEP1 certified. Maybe a third of the people attending will complete their certification after two weeks. I suspect that most of the people attending an event like this would have two to ten hours of effort in PEP1 before they arrive. Build that crappy mallet and plant some seeds. PEP2, a formal PEP2 program would fill a summer. So I kind of think that most people doing PEP2, it might it might be spread out over much more than a summer. Like they're probably going to be doing it more like on evenings and weekends and stuff, a little here, a little there. Right. Maybe, maybe there will be a, 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 a three or four people in an area that will get together and help each other move forward right. with that stuff. But the, yeah, and so I guess maybe to clarify what you mean by a formal program is like, like Paul, for example, could have a formal PEP2 program. And so it would be like you would go to Paul's place for a month, or a summer rather, and during that summer you would be doing all of the things in this program. That would be like hyper-focused, eight hours a day. Right. Right, right. And so in which case, like, let's say we've got somebody named Bob, um, and that's, that's spelled with one O. Um, and so Bob, uh, he is the official, uh, pep teacher. And so it's a, it's a summer program. And so you show up at the beginning of the summer and for 40 hours a week, Bob has a formal program and guides people through in an effort to try to see to it that people get certified by the end of the summer, but it's still a bit of a, of a push. It's, it's like, um, it might not happen, but I mean, people are awake for more than a hundred hours a week and Bob's teaching for 40 hours a week. There's a lot of opportunity for people to kind of, you know, finish little projects here and there and stuff. But Hey, like I said earlier, some people hit 40 hours at the end of the week and they're done. So, um, but, but yeah, Bob would be leading a formal program. And so then the, the, person, the people, the students would be there, and they would pay Bob. Here, Bob, have a bunch of money. Uh, I'm going to be here all summer. I want you to get me skilled up. And so, uh, um, uh, yeah, Bob would provide a rather formal framework for people to learn all of these things. So, um, as we're designing all of this, we're trying to design it so that it could be a formal framework, a formal program, or 
uh, people could do it at home on their own yeah. and, and uh, get certified remotely for free or a million different ideas in between those two. So uh, we're working very hard to design everything that way. All right. So PEP2, uh, you, buy, you might build a better mallet and a crappy coat rack, uh, help other people build some chairs, plant lots of seeds, and feed yourself from a garden. So uh, a simpler program. A formal PEP3 program would take about nine months. Uh, build your first chair, grow and harvest a million calories. Uh, so, and a million calories is enough to feed one person for an entire year. So, um, but then the thing is, is like a PEP2 plus PEP3, that would be a one-year program. And then finally, PEP4 takes a little over two years. And so I kind of imagine PEP4 starts at the beginning of uh, a summer and ends at the end of a summer a couple of years later. So it takes a little over two years. Um, build a house and fill it with furniture. Grow, harvest, and preserve four million calories, enough to feed four people year-round. And um, so that's so PEP four is is a, is definitely a big program. And you probably so then all of this stuff added together is is a, a little over three years. And so, and that's as a formal program. Right. And uh, I hope that someday we will offer such a formal program here. But the first step is to document it, and then you know we're already getting started on the next steps. And so, I'm I'm hoping that maybe a year from now we will have some people who are intent on completing PEP four. Um. <clears throat> I think that people that are looking to will their land to somebody with experience are looking for somebody with PEP4, but they can't seem to find people that have even done something on the scale of PEP1. What exactly does one do in a formal two-week PEP1 gathering so that you end up PEP1 certified? And what exactly does one do to get PEP1 certified when they are doing it by themselves remotely? And remember, we want to make it free for the remote people. Further, if a person does a bunch of stuff and submits a pick for all of that stuff, but it's like, here are two mallets, and it's a picture of two big sticks, one of which is clearly rotten, and the other is clearly too big for a human to hold, I think it's fair to say not done yet. But if there are 50 things in one picture, it'll be hard to have a real conversation about one mallet. So we need to be able to have a bit more detailed discussion, especially about the first projects, like the mallet. So we need to be able to have a person post about their mallet, and somebody can say, not yet good enough to count as the mallet for PEP1. And then once the mallet is good enough, a person can take a quick look and say, looks good. You have now completed the mallet thing on your way to PEP1. And there might be 20 little pieces that when somebody says, hey, certify me for PEP1, then a person can say that they completed the proper 20 pieces in Presto. They are now PEP1 certified. Okay. 
moving into the next slice here. I'm, I'm trying to get this done before we run out of time today. <clears throat> After years of adventure, we came up with badges. I'm going to just skip over all of the comedy and discussion that happened for years until we decided to go with badges. There, there are four levels of badges. Sand badge, straw badge, wood badge, and iron badge. So a sand badge is going to take about five hours to complete. And to get PEP1 certified, you have to complete 16 sand badges. All right. A straw badge takes about 40 hours to complete. Now, that's that's 35 additional hours. So straw badge is basically your sand badge plus 35 more hours of stuff. A wood badge is to add 180 hours of stuff, which is roughly four to five weeks. So Sean and I have been spending so much time on the badges, I think we've both got it pretty well memorized. A sand badge is about five hours. A straw badge is an additional four to five days. A wood badge is an additional four to five weeks. And an iron badge is an additional six months. Get PEP4 certified, and we'll go into details about this later. You need to complete three iron badges. Um, and there's more to it, but we'll get to that here in a moment. There are 22 different badges, like 22 different aspects for the badges. So there's four badge levels, and there's 22 different aspects. <clears throat> so just reading from the list... Dimensional lumber woodworking, round wood woodworking, natural building, food prep and preservation, foraging, gardening, textiles, rocket. I'm sure you can guess what's in that. <laughs> cool care, metalworking. Animal care, and and we've got a big thread at Permuse right now about what would be the sand and straw badges for animal care for vegans. So, for example, working with solitary bees, providing habitat for solitary bees. Um, electricity, woodland care, community living, and we've got, uh, I think, a really amazing uh, brainstorming thread at Permuse for community living like what, what the badges might include for that. I think there's some very cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you've got to take a picture of it. You've got to be able to take a picture of it. Commerce, earthworks, gray water and willow feeders, plumbing and hot water, nest. That's going to be uh, a lot of stuff about how to – uh, clean or maintain or care for a space uh, short-term uh, to our standards. Natural medicine. Homesteading. Uh, homesteading ended up being an interesting one because it's kind of like we needed a place for things that didn't fit into other stuff and didn't really – be significant enough to have its own aspect or collection of badges. 
And so all of this little bric-a-brac odd duck stuff goes under homesteading. Uh, I can see in here cutting glass. I know that one of the things is like the ability to hook up a trailer to a truck and drive it backwards. Yep. Um, there's, there's a list of little oddball things, you know, that, that go under homesteading. And then speaking of oddball things, oddball. And so, um, uh, varied, oddball, creative, unpredictable, one-off. Things that we could not think of that had to be done, but it's like stuff that just came up. And, um, and so it's, it's something where, uh, it's a framework for being able to get certified because of course no one can predict what needs to be done. And then, so you'll do things and then you'll submit them and then it'll be decided whether or not it qualifies as part of the PEP program. So it has to be somehow related to homesteading and permaculture. So um, uh, an example is two days ago, I repaired the chair I'm sitting on now. Um, I, I think I, I used a couple of hose clamps. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, my chair kept uh, sliding down, and so I attached a couple of hose clamps, and it's holding it up. I think that that would qualify as oddball. Um, um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of stuff that just doesn't fit into other things that are mostly probably going to be some oddball kind of repair or, or something, or maybe it's building something new, but it's like not documented anywhere. And so you give it a shot, try it out. Okay. Next, next piece. PEP one requires 16 sand badges. PEP two, which is, uh, so PEP one is 16 sand badges, and it's going to be about two weeks. PEP two, which is like a summer, one wood badge, seven straw badges, and 14 sand badges. That's a total of 22 badges. PEP three, seven wood badges and 15 straw badges. And PEP four, three iron badges plus 12 wood badges plus seven straw badges. So now I have sat down and I've got like several hours put into reworking the math over and over and over again to make sure that these all fit to the appropriate time frames. And so it's so so it's and, it. and you check the math? Okay, good. <laughs> I know we've changed it even just a few weeks ago um to get it all worked out, but it's like it's actually not too far off from some of the math that was done seven months ago. Yeah. It's just been slightly refined. All right. Uh, in participating in free stuff, uh, need to have con- uh, people need to have contributed to guiding others in free programs. People working on wood badges need to guide people working on sand badges and verify a dozen sand badges. So this is where we're getting to the point of how do we make it so that it's scalable and yet still can be free. Yeah. People working on iron badges need to guide people working on sand and straw badges, verifying a dozen sand badges and a dozen straw badges. Uh, wood badges are confirmed by people that have already completed iron badges. Uh, iron badges are confirmed by three people that have already completed iron badges. 
And and before someone says, how do the first three people get their iron badge? You know, would, Paul, Paul will certify those. I, I think it has to be me. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think that there's going to be a lot of people very interested, um, and and the first people getting iron badges. Um, so I, 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 what I imagine is that um, what I would like to think is going to happen is that there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of people cheering on the first people to get PEP one certified and uh, cheering on the first people to get PEP two and so so on until we do have our very first ever person getting PEP four certified. Um, I think, you know, another thing we should probably do is to start um, uh, creating a thread uh, of people who wish to offer something to uh, um, people that are uh, PEP4 certified. We actually have a thread about that where it's like click thumbs up here if you wish to offer something to somebody who's PEP4 certified. And I think it has like 60 thumbs ups. So uh, it's been a long time since I've looked at that. So yeah, I can't remember that one. Okay. Uh, right now, um, so we've got the the Pep One event is going to be here May twentieth to June first uh, at Wheaton Labs. It's a free event, so I think uh, eventually it's going to we're going to charge probably one or two thousand dollars for this event. But right now it's free. So if you have ever been here before, uh. It's free. Come here. I'll even feed you. Well, I shouldn't say I will provide food for you. That'll be staples. But one of the badges is going to be about uh, food prep. And um, and some of the community badges are about preparing a meal for others. So um, uh, you all will do it. And plus, not only that, but I know that some of the rocket badges are about firing up uh, the rocket oven and cooking something and, you know, things of that nature. Right. So um, uh, but I'll provide staples. And, of course, I'm kind of hopeful that some of the PEP1 students will bring some food because this is a free event. Um, and and uh, um, uh, I'll be helping out. I'll be helping to guide the PEP1 event. And um, Fred will be helping out. And we have uh, a new event manager, Coco, will be here, and Jocelyn will help. I'm sure Jocelyn will try to feed people at least once in a while because she just can't stop herself. <laughs> um, so we have two students signed up so far. I just announced it a couple of days ago. Um, we're going to do a maximum of 12 students. I would much rather have pod people here than anybody else in the world. So um, uh, pod people, when pod people get here, it is the best. And the people that have brought drama with them are generally the people that are not pod people. Um, and so uh, um, please, please help me fill this out with pod people. Pod people, sign up. Pod people, come out. Now, if you've never been here before, uh, and and uh, I had two of my last Kickstarters where people who support my Kickstarter at $100 or higher, we say, it covers your gapper fee. So if you're any of those people, then uh, you can come out for free also. But if you don't, if you've never been here before and you haven't uh, paid the gapper fee, then it's then pay the $100 gapper fee, and we'll take care of everything from there. Um, uh, so uh, 
so far, we have documented um, five of the aspects uh, rather completely, like what are the badges? And they're up on Permies right now. And maybe by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have gotten another one or two up. Um, but right now we have roundwood woodworking, dimensional lumber woodworking, gardening, earthworks, and woodland care. I know that I've been working on the rocket one fairly recently. Uh, we could use help at getting uh, other badges defined um, and, and creating the documentation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like um, I can imagine somebody saying, hey, you know, this is the Paul thing. Why not? I think if, it's, if you're going to call it the Paul thing, you have to do all the work, Paul. And I kind of feel like I'm making this free to people. Um, you know, I, I, I'm making it available to the greater community, and it is an enormous amount of work. Yeah. Can I get a little help, pretty please? Um, and and so far, a few people have chimed, have, have thrown in some help. Uh, Sean, I think you um, may very well be the record holder for helping. Uh, there was a gapper here many years ago, Jesse Markowitz. He has put a lot of content up uh, onto the PEP uh, forum. Um, and so basically, it's like um, help us scramble, help us fill in the blanks, help us get this all uh, documented and defined and out there. Um, uh, you know, pr- please. <laughs> this is this yeah. is this has been a lot of work. And it's not like, oh, please do this so we can go and do nothing. It's please do this so we can go and focus on other projects. That too. That too. Um, plus, I kind of feel like uh, the sooner we can get this documented and available, the sooner we can start to offer it and yeah. make it available. Okay. Um, I thought what I would do now is um, pop into, like, round wood woodworking and um, – uh, Oh, and we've got one BB up. So, so um, you should I, explain what BB is. I need to explain what a BB is. So it's a badge bit. Uh, so for um, – I'm trying to find – I'm looking through my, my tabs here. Uh, roundwood woodworking. So for roundwood woodworking, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven BBs, seven badge bits to get the sand badge for roundwood woodworking, one BB is making this club-style mallet. And so um, as of yesterday, I put that BB up. And so um, I describe what is necessary. I've got uh, – um, I actually, we already had some pictures of Jocelyn and I using a, um, uh, a, a club-style mallet with a chisel um, uh, for working on uh, some of the scaffolding on the big culture out front here. Yeah, very nice pictures. Yeah, and uh, and then I went down uh, yesterday morning, and I uh, uh, rummaged around the shop, and I found three other club-style mallets and took a quick picture of them, one of which I bought. And um, it is the one I bought is getting kind of worn, but it's kind of like, I don't know how much I paid for it, like probably something like 20 bucks on Amazon. And um, it's made out of probably hickory or, some, you know, a hardwood. But you can see that it's like it's getting pretty beat up. And it's like not a very big mallet either for a clean style mallet. 
And then, um, and then we've got these other two club style mallets, um, that are bigger that are made here. They're obviously handmade, but, um, I remember, uh, Caleb Larson telling me that, uh, uh, when it comes to these club style mallets, cause you just burn through them so fast that you get used to like making a mallet in like seven minutes. And so it's about the 12th time you've made a mallet that you can make a mallet in like seven minutes. And so, um, I, it got me all curious. I, I, now I'm kind of wondering, like, how fast can I make a, a club style mallet now? Um, but anyway, I, so it's got pictures and it says to get certified for this BB, so BB certification, you need to post three pictures. You need to post a, a picture of the chunk of wood you're starting with. It should be about 16 inches long and four inches in diameter. A picture of your progress about halfway through with the hand tools you've decided to use for this. So it's a, so one of the requirements for this BB is that it's all hand tools. And then the third picture is the final product. And so you post those three pictures and, uh, you can get certified for that BB. And we have a, we have a process for that built into the software to be able to, um, uh, certify a BB. So. Uh, um, now back to the, uh, just covering the, the sand badge for, um, roundwood woodworking. There's the club style mallet, uh, the compound mallet where you use a smaller dry stick, which is your handle going into a bigger green stick, which is the head and you make a nice tight fit. And as, um, the head dries, it will shrink onto the smaller stick that's holding it together. Um, so the, the third BB is carve a big, ugly, nearly useless spoon. The fourth BB is to add one horizontal log to the berm slash hugaculture scaffolding. All right. Now, if you're doing this on your own at home, you might want to do something else. There, there might be a whole different way to, to basically do something similar. And, it, and, and there's, there's um, other information here under Sand Badge. You do the joinery work. Uh, you can have help positioning the log. Low quality wood is acceptable. Trust me, you want to use low quality wood because it goes way faster. <laughs> and a loose fitting joint is acceptable. So I've got a whole thread about Jocelyn and I doing this, um, and and it's amazing how quickly you can kind of shape the destination and shape the log itself. But there's a lot of lessons in doing this even poorly, which poorly is probably the quality you're going to do for the first time. Uh, all right, BB number five. I'm going to do one, two. BB number five, dry peg and green wood project. Build one of these. So out of these, there's five things here. You pick which one you want to do out of these five. Uh, coat hooks. So I've done this a few times before. This is, um, you, you, you take a stick of wood. I usually go for something about a, a foot and a half to two feet long and split it down the middle. And then I go and I'll drill like four holes in it. And then I'll put four dry pegs in those four holes. Then the green wood shrinks and, and grips those, uh, um, pegs, which are the, the coat hooks. Uh, that's one. 
half log bench uh, on four legs, uh, six feet long. A sawhorse is number three. Sawbuck is number four, or a crappy stool, um, which will probably have at least three legs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it it can be crappy, but it has to stand up. But all five of these is dry peg and green wood, and so and then and then the green wood chunk will will dry over time and shrink over those dry pegs, and then you have something of use. Yeah. Uh, another thing you need to do, uh, so this is BB number six, is a three-log bench. It must be seven feet long, 16 to 18 inches high, peeled logs, saddle notches, and the top must be hewn, meaning flattened. Um, and the final thing for sand badge is is so quick, so tiny, so easy. Two coat hooks made from small trees, and the hooks are the branches on these trees. So you're not even joining wood. All you're doing is taking a small stick, flattening a side of it, and it's one solid piece, and you have the ability to uh, attach the top and the bottom of the stick of wood, and you've got this little nub sticking out as, as a coat hook. Um, I, I actually have done something several years in a row when I was on Mount Spokane where I took our Christmas tree, and then I put it out for the goats after Christmas, and the goats would eat all of the cambium off, all that sweet part. And they would do it, like, so perfectly that you would end up with this tree shape that is just this perfect tree. And then I would cut it in half down the middle um, and snipping off all of the branches so make all the little branches be be like uh, two and a half inches long. Right. And, and so now, um, and then usually what I would do is when I cut it down to the middle, I would be a little more generous to one side of the tree rather than the other. And so the lesser side I would just throw it in the wood pile for kindling, and then the other side I would keep, and then I would write on it, uh, you know, Christmas, what year it was, and I made it into like a, a coat hook that I would mount in the hallway. That's neat. Yeah. And so, but you know, the, the thing that's being that's here for the last uh, BB in the sand badge is actually a, a smaller, simpler version of that uh, for just one hook. So, all right. I, I want to go and talk about so much more about all of this, but um, uh, we're out of time. And uh, uh, I want to beg for help from people to come and help me finish the documentation and flesh it all out, because I do think these documents are going to be evolving documents over the next five years. Absolutely. And um, and I, I, think, I think that the only way that we can get it done is as a community effort. And um, uh, uh, plus, I hope, please, uh, uh, go and find the thread out at uh, Permies that's about our upcoming event in May, and, and please get signed up for it. All you got to do is reply to the thread and say that you're going to be here. And uh, I, I love the idea. In fact, you know, say I'm a pod person in your post. That would be great. That would be cool. I just kind of feel like, oh, good. If 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 we've got mostly pod people at the event, then it's like everything will be fine. Um, uh, everything will be wonderful. So um, please uh, um, come on out in May. I'm, uh, I 
I, I'm sorry that this isn't a, a, I don't know, a better podcast with even more details and more information and more stuff, but I kind of felt it was important to at least plant the seed and get things started. So um, uh, as always, thanks to our, our Patreon people that are uh, supporting this and, and, and uh, um, really getting stuff going. Um, I want to thank Bill Krim, who put out, uh, he, he cranked through the last podcast, and Adrian, who's processed our podcast for so many years. And he's just so overwhelmed with it. And now Bill Crim's picking it up. And, and he got our last podcast processed in less than 24 hours. So um, because of that, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get more podcasts out over the next few months. And, Sean, I, I hope that you'll help me with that, especially as we get into our Kickstarter. <laughs> All right. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about PEP certification, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.